G'day mate, welcome to episode 68 of the Exponential Performance Podcast, it's so good to have you here. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the top three concepts that we want endurance athletes to grasp to improve their training. In this week's segment, Nick is digging into reflection and how that relates to mindset and positive thinking, and we're also going to talk about keeping your knees warm as the temperature drops to keep those knees healthy. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Alrighty, mate, welcome along to episode 68. It's good to have you here. I hope your training's going well. We are going to jump straight into the first segment, uh, still keeping with that topic at the moment of trying to fit more into the podcast and less waffling so we get more quality information uh, to you in the most time-effective manner. So what I wanted to talk about today is if I had to choose three of the most important concepts for athletes to grasp uh, to help with their training and inform their training, this is what they'd be. And I really do hate those articles that are like the top five or the top three best tips. So I was kind of disappointed that I had to kind of come up with the top three, but just kind of wanting to nail it down because someone asked me the other day what would sort of be the top key things that you you know that would help an athlete, and this is what they'd be. So the first one would be the a concept that I call the performance equation. The second one is around training intensity, and the third one is around nutrition. And we'll dive a little deeper into those now. So. The performance equation, if you have read the performance temple handbook, um, there's a bit about this in there. And if you haven't read that, you can get your free download of that over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com. But what the performance equation is, is this idea that when you load the body or provide it with a training stress, couple that, or plus, if we're going for the equation model, plus adequate recovery then you're going to get an increase in performance so when we're training we're manipulating obviously the the load side of the equation the stimulus the training load so that's about how hard you're going how far you're going or how long you're going for the types of intervals that you're doing the amount of hills that are in your training uh, that 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 all uh, contributes to training load, how many sessions you're doing per week, that sort of thing. That's all about the training load. And people, when they're wanting to improve their performance, naturally and rightly so, put a lot of emphasis on what training do I need to do to increase my performance. However, the other part of that equation is recovery, the adequate recovery. So when you go out there and train, you actually get worse initially and we can probably all relate to that that if you were to go out uh, and let's say we do a performance test let's say it's a five kilometer running time trial you go to a 5k time trial and then you go for a 10 kilometer run as the training stress or the training load when you come back from that 10k run have you actually got better well the way we could test that is by do the 5k time trial again 
And my bet would be that you run that second 5K slower than your first 5K time trial because the 10K training session that you just did fatigued you. It fatigued the body. It ran its energy supplies down. There's been breakdown of the muscle fibers, uh, and you're just fatigued. So training in itself doesn't make you any better. It's the training coupled with the recovery that gives us that improvement in performance. So that performance equation sets the foundation of all training, all right? And it needs both parts. Some people need to focus on some parts more than the other. For example, if you're not doing much training, then you need to focus on the training aspect or those people, and which is not usually the case. Like endurance athletes are usually highly motivated, uh, focused on just smashing themselves and getting it done. So a lot of the times if you're doing a lot of training, you maybe need to focus more on the recovery side of things as well. So it's a balancing act between that training load and recovery. You need both parts of that equation to get an improvement in performance. So if your performance isn't going up, then we need to either look at training load or recovery. So that would be the first most important concept to grasp, that training doesn't necessarily make you better, only when it's coupled with adequate recovery does your performance improve. And, and likewise as well, recovery, a lot of talk about recovery, you know, in general, coaching articles, training articles on the internet and that sort of thing. Recovery doesn't make you any better unless it's matched with the adequate training load as well. No point just sitting on the couch recovering all the time if you haven't done the training. The second one is training intensity. Now, Nick and I talked a lot about training intensity when we went through our training zone series, uh, and I will post a link to all of those episodes that covered each one of the training zones over at the show notes at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 68 for today's episode. But what is training intensity? And training training intensity is just how hard you're training, how hard you're training. So everyone would be very familiar with the duration metric in training, how long you're going for. But training intensity is how hard you're training. Why is it important that we know or even care about training intensity? Well, training intensity links directly into our energy systems that we are trying to change. So when we go out and train, we're putting that training load, if you remember back to the performance equation, on a specific energy system or trying to stress a specific energy system to get the desired outcome. So if we're going out for a steady state ride, run, swim, what we're trying to do is develop our aerobic endurance. We're trying to increase the capacity of our engine, if you like. If we're going out for some zone five work, we're trying to improve our VO2 max or our top end sort of sustained speed. So training intensity is really important, not just knowing what it is, but then we need to know our personal training intensity. So what are our zones? One, two, three, four, five. We need to know what those zones are for our individual disciplines as well because our training intensity or our heart rate response 
varies from disciplines. So if you are running versus biking, your heart rates will be higher for running compared to cycling. So what we need to do is we need to make sure we've got our zones locked in for each of our disciplines. Now, just because we know our heart rate zones or our power zones, depending or pace zones, depending on how you're measuring your training intensity, then we need to focus on sticking with them. So when we go out the door, we need to know what the goal of our training session is and what training zone we're going to work in to get the desired outcomes. So we need to have a little bit of training zone discipline, so to speak. Sure, you can just go out and do whatever training intensity you like, but if we're looking for that specific goal, looking for that specific load to give us the specific adaptation in that uh, performance equation, load plus stress equals performance improvement, we need to know what our zone is and we need to have some discipline to stay within it depending on the demands of the session. So that would be my number two. Number three is nutrition. It's not, and I, and I debated whether I put this in there to be completely honest with you because I don't see nutrition as a, as a training thing, if that makes sense. It's, it's completely different. It's another piece of the puzzle. But then the more I thought about it is that uh, nutrition in itself is a training stimulus um, and the two parts of the puzzle are so interconnected um, you can't have one without the other. So it trumped another couple of uh, important concepts that I was tossing up whether or not I should put them in there. But I think nutrition is definitely right there in number three. So what are we talking about with nutrition? Well, I often find that there's this mentality uh, amongst endurance athletes. It sort of comes two ways. The first is, uh, it doesn't matter what I eat because I'll just burn it off anyway and I won't get fat. And that's a valid point. You're probably not going to get fat. And you probably can eat anything you want if you're doing lots of training. But the thing is, we're not worried about you getting fat, uh, for instance. That's not why we focus on our nutrition. And I think this has come such, you know, the fitness industry as a whole has this, you know, it's all about burning energy and uh, getting in an uh, energy deficit so we don't get fat. We burn weight, we lose, we lose weight, we lose fat mass, um, and that's all nutrition is about. But nutrition is about so much more than that. So that would be one mindset that I often encounter in endurance athletes. I don't have to worry about what I eat. I can eat anything I like because I just burn it off. The other mindset that I often get with endurance athletes is that eating is almost a, a reward. So I can't or I can't eat that because I haven't done enough training. Or I've eaten that so I've got to go out and punish myself and burn it off with this amount of training. And it kind of comes from people that have often found their way into endurance sport from a weight loss background and that they have so focused on uh, losing weight and they've, they've come to endurance sport through their weight loss goals, but that mindset has still stayed with them. So what I want endurance athletes to grasp around our nutrition is 
sort of three different components is that firstly nutrition and what you put in your mouth that's what I'm talking about when I talk about nutrition the food that you put in your mouth uh, is fuel all right and often we don't connect that what we're putting in our mouth is the fuel that's driving the engine to go and get those training adaptations that we're after in that performance equation so those people that have come to uh, those people that have come to endurance training or endurance racing from a weight loss background that fuel component isn't a thing food is a bad thing they don't want to eat it because they're trying to burn as much energy as they can. In endurance athletes, if you're not putting the right fuel in at the right times and the right amount, you're not going to be able to do the required training. So food as fuel is the first point. The second thing is the recovery. Your recovery as an athlete, we think back to that performance equation, fueling to drive the training adaptations and then recovery obviously to recover and adapt to those training adaptations, having the right food going in at the right time following training is really important to maximize that recovery to get those performance improvements as well. So fueling, recovery, and then just day-to-day health. If you are not healthy, as in just a baseline level of normal functioning as a human, then you can't improve your performance as an athlete. So having good day-to-day nutrition is crucial, absolutely crucial. So there are my top three most important concepts for endurance athletes to grasp to help uh, inform their training going forward. Really get a good understanding of that performance equation, that it's your training load, that specific training load, plus recovery that gives us the performance We need to look at either the load and the recovery. We can't just look at one or the other. The second one is training intensities. Get your training zones dialed in and then have some training zone discipline so that you are getting the most out of your sessions. And then finally, nutrition. Such an important piece of the puzzle. And nutrition is all about fueling the training that you're doing making sure the raw material there is there in the recovery phase so your body can recover and adapt to the training and then setting a baseline day-to-day health that you can then build on as an athlete. Nick, any thoughts on those? Uh, so so two, two things I'll add. One around that kind of training load um, is if you think about the optimal number being 10, that doesn't matter what that number is, it could be 20, but... We'll use 10, and your, your load and recovery need to add up to 10. If your load adds up to 10 by itself, you've got no room to recover. Um, and so it's really good to kind of just, as a picture, think about it that way. You, you know, you've only got a finite amount of, of load you can put through the body um, in terms of that total pull, um, and some of it has to come from recovery. Um, and then, I guess, looking at nutrition, uh, not many endurance athletes can lose weight just by simply training um, if they are then there's something going on wrong with their nutrition or they're training too much and they're going to run themselves into the ground so it's really good to think about your nutrition is if you take away the fact you're training 15 10 8 hours a week whatever it is and then what would you eat you wouldn't eat you know pies 
you know, cream buns, all those good sort of empty carbohydrates that we sometimes end up going to as an endurance athlete because we've done all the work, you know, the bowl of chips, um, the, the pint after every bike ride, that if you think about your day-to-day stuff and then you're going to add in, like Matty said, the fuel for that session and the recovery from that session. So you're going out for a two-hour ride, okay, I'm going to have a little bit of something before that, I might have a snack during, and I'm having my post-recovery shake, whatever it is. And therefore, your total daily nutrition's increased to match your training volume, but you haven't added it full of junk that is essentially just providing you with uh, sort of uh, empty calories, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, nice. And that's in the assumption that they're aiming to lose weight as well. Mm. Oh, totally. Yep. yep. And if you're aiming to lose weight, then you have to change your nutrition. Yeah, Just by time. simply increasing your training load is not going to do anything. You're just going to yep. end up eating more if you're not fueling with the right uh, nutrition to help keep you full and, and keep you keep you going through your training uh, without the, ex- the empty calories. Yeah, fantastic. All righty, team, we're going to leave that first segment there, the three most important concepts for endurance as- athletes to grasp. And we're going to jump into Nick's weekly series that we have been uh, chugging through over the last three weeks around mindset and positive thinking. And this week we're going to be looking around reflection. Nick, over to you. Cool. So we've looked at setting some goals and we've looked at kind of uh, hacking the brain or, or, or critiquing our mindset really to, to put us in a more positive light. But if we don't sit down and, and reflect or, or have some sort of reflection after a certain period of time, then what is it all good for? You know, you could achieve your best goal and then you carry on to the next thing. You're never actually sort of rewarding yourself or, or taking the time to, to pull apart what you did to get there. So essentially the, the act of reflection or reflecting uh, is reviewing a period of time. Um, critiquing what went well, what didn't go so well, what have we learned from this, and then setting yourself some actions, I guess, going forward to the next phase. So I like to ask my questions and and questions of others, did I achieve my goal? What went well? Why did it go well? What didn't go well? And why didn't it go well? Um, But also, what would I do differently next time? So, So you get that really good action coming out the other side. But reflection shouldn't just be at the end of a, let's say, a, a six-month goal where you've built up to a race um, and you re- reflect after that goal was achieved or, or not achieved. But if we incorporate them into our daily life, then we can really use them to become more efficient as people um, and they can kind of shape our day-to-day actions um, and behaviours in pursuit of our goals. And by ba- making us more efficient in work and life, then we free up more time to do the training, do the recovery, but we also stay connected with a goal that might be six months down the track. Um, and we, you know, we can connect with that every week and every couple of weeks um, just by having a, a simple sort of review, reflection. Um, I don't really like the word review, but re- reflection doesn't always fit the, the, the sentence structure, so to speak. Um, so the best part about reflection work is it can be done wherever you want it to be done just need to be somewhere where you're not going to be interrupted. You know, you might sit down with a cup of tea, sit down with a glass of wine. You might go down to the, the local beach and sit on the sand dunes looking out over the waves. So somewhere where you can give yourself a little bit of time to, to think about what you've done over the past period of time that you're reflecting on. And then write, start writing it down. So it needs to be recorded. 
um, and asking yourself those questions. You know, over the last two weeks of my training, what's gone really well? Um, why did that go well? Maybe I ate much better over the last two weeks, so therefore I had more energy to go training and I was recovering better. But, you know, it didn't go so well because I didn't leave myself enough time on the weekend to do my long ride, so I need to free up some more time there. And so therefore you're starting to, to pull apart your, your every couple of weeks of your training so you can keep your journey going in the right pathway. There's no point in getting six months down the track and being like, ah, oh, I really wish I'd eaten more for the last couple of months. Um, you know, you need to pull that apart um, a lot earlier than that. From a, an everyday point of view, though, it's, it's I mean, simply going home from work and your commute. Um, you can use that time just to ask yourself those questions, even in your mind. You know, okay, what went well today in work? Uh, or, you know, it might be on the weekend, what's, what's been a really good uh, moment of today? What didn't go so well? And then formulating yourself uh, like a, uh, a to-do list for the next day based on today's results, essentially. And so we're going to come back to that in just a second. Um, but essentially, if you can create this daily structure of a little bit of reflection, you get home, you write it down, you formulate your to-do list, um, and then you carry on with whatever. So you've kind of had your work, and then you're away from work into training, into home life. Um, and then you can kind of move on each day in a forward progression. So you're not always just chasing your tail, not always chasing the to-do list that's got 20,000 items on it, and you're never actually going to do any of them because you're so sort of stuck in that list. Um, and it was recently I was reading a book uh, by Cliff Harvey, who we've had on the podcast before, talking around carbohydrate-appropriate uh, and sort of keto nutrition. Um, his latest book is called The Credo, and he mentions the concept of this sort of daily to-do list as the mission-critical list. So at the end of each day, you're reviewing your list of to-dos for the week or the month, and you're picking three things that you're going to do tomorrow. They might be time-sensitive, or they might be connected to another goal that is time-sensitive and is going to come up with in the next couple of weeks. But So you're going forward into tomorrow knowing what you're doing, and you're only focusing on three things. You might achieve other things. That's, there's no, no drama there, but... If you have three things to focus on, then you're actually getting those most important things done first. So these small day-to-day -day reflections can, like I said, make us more productive and more efficient, which is really cool. Um, but then if we can then pull apart our training, like I said, on sort of a fortnightly, a monthly basis, we can keep the communication going, with it, whether it be with a coach or with ourselves, about how things are progressing. Um, do we feel like we're getting fitter? maybe not, okay, I need to review what my sessions are doing. Do I feel ready for the upcoming race or the upcoming event I've got? Um, and if the answer is no, then you, you have time if you're reviewing often enough to, to change the, the way you're going to get yourself towards a, um, the goal and completing that goal properly. Probably the, the biggest and most important one, though, is that in, re, in review or in reflection on uh, the big goal. So again, let's pick that, that race that's six months down the track. We've set ourselves a, a smart goal that we talked about a few weeks back. We've achieved that goal. Okay, so what went well? How did the whole process go? Let's pull out all our notes, our training diaries, our reflections from the last six months, um, and what went well? What did we really think worked for us? What didn't work for us, and why didn't it work? So when we set ourselves another goal, maybe another six months down the track, we know, okay, we're not going to spend as much time on this area, we're going to spend more time over here, um, and those little things that can really help us progress as an athlete, but also progress as people. Uh, you know, if we're always chasing the same sort of level of achievement in our work or our, our personal lives, then you're never going to achieve the next step, which we're all capable of doing. We just need to 
push ourselves to that point, but also reflect on the journey to get there. Um, so literally, however you choose to do it, there's no wrong or right way to, to, to get started. Just pull out a bit of paper, write some things down for the day. Start small. Start with a couple of days a week. Start with maybe one reflection for the last month of your training. Um, and maybe that we make that the challenge for this time. Think about the last month of your training, since especially in the Southern Hemisphere, we're sort of getting into the start of what, you know, the, the, the bulk of the base training um, for endurance athletes coming into the, the spring period. Um, so how have things gone over the last month or two? Are you in a position where you can start to increase your intensity or increase your volume? Uh, and if not, then maybe we need to restructure the plan now so we get to the start of spring in good shape. Um, and just little things like that. Maddie, mm. any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I like it. No, I'm I'm big on that. Eh? I've got I'm a big um a big list writer, mm-hmm. and one thing that I'm definitely guilty of is just this this massive to do list mm-hmm. that um never really gets trimmed. So I really like that idea of narrowing it down and just having those mission critical things every day to like the must dos, yeah. uh, and then the you know the good to dos would be maybe after that. But mm. focusing on those those top three things as well, and yeah. I think as well, like with a lot of endurance events, <clears throat> they're quite cyclic in nature. Like you'll come back to them a year later, you know, most of the time. And in, in terms of people doing the same events over and over again, a year apart, and often leading into them, it's kind of hard to remember what you did last year. Mm. Um, and so I'm a I'm a big one of after the event writing down you know like things that went well the gear that worked well the nutrition that worked well, you know the 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 week leading up to the race what you know went well in that time and what didn't go well, so that you can then refer back to those like it does like you say it doesn't have to be super high tech, you know I've just got scribbles and notebooks and not even in notebooks just on pages you know just on yep. pieces of paper that are tucked away and I'll pull them out, um, you know, leading into events that are either similar or that are the same events that you're sort of hitting every every once in a while just to keep that memory fresh because the mind's an interesting one that it doesn't always remember everything, you know. I'll be reading back through them and I was like, oh, yeah, I was about to do that same thing that didn't work well last time again just because, you know, you'd forgotten what it was. So yeah. definitely get it written down and recorded. Yeah. I think it's it definitely fills the fills the bucket of training smarter, um, and you know it's not a it's not a physical stimulus to us, but we're trying to make it easy for ourselves. If you're always making things harder, then what's the point? You know, the life's life's hard enough. We've got enough time constraints as it is. If we can take some of that pressure off ourselves and, and sort of make it a lot easier, then yeah, uh, you know, I'm all for it. It's free speed, isn't it? You know, free performance enhancement just by you know taking a few notes and then reflecting on them. Totally is. Yeah. Absolutely. I like it. And so, Nick, next week is our last uh, mindset and positive thinking in the series. What are we going to be tackling next episode? Yeah, so next week we're going to go into a little bit of stuff around some mindfulness. Um, and now it's quite a buzz topic at the moment. There's, there's heaps of mindfulness apps and all over the internet. Um, so maybe just a few key tips on, on how to get into a little bit of mindfulness, which feels more of that kind of meditation-y area than it does reflection, but you can use mindfulness techniques to help you reflect and help you kind of clear your mind and calm the mind to reflect more positively. Um, so it kind of follows on quite nicely from today. Perfect. I look forward to that.
Alrighty, team, we're going to jump into our training plan sneak peek. So this is a wee segment that we do each episode looking at one of the training plans that is available over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com. These are generic training plans that are designed for specific uh, events or specific types of events. Uh, and they're a really good way to get some smart, scientific-based structured training uh, without that price tag of the personalized coaching options that we also have. So this week we're going to look at the marathon training plan. So this is a running marathon. Uh, Nick and I designed this plan largely because when it comes to marathon training, because it's such an old event, there's so much mixed training advice out there. So our goals with this training plan were to get really clear, give really clear and effective advice to help the help you get to the start line with confidence that you've done the required training. And then secondly, to get to the finish line and achieve your goal. So we just want to take out some of that confusion around the training and provide a really bulletproof way of getting um, to your first marathon. So this is for someone who's stepping up to the marathon distance for the first time. Or if you struggled through your first marathon and you want to perform better next time, this will give you a, a much better structure to follow to hopefully not repeat those same pitfalls of your first marathon attempt. So this is a 16-week training program. It's been designed to take all of the guesswork out of your training so that you just follow the step-by-step -step, uh, training plan and the comprehensive training notes that come along with it. If you think back to the performance equation that we looked at at the start of this episode, it's got all of those specific training metrics in there. We're talking about the frequency, so how often you train, how long you should train for, and how hard you should train in each session. We've got steps in there that'll help you outline your heart rate training zones. And then when it comes to the recovery phase of that performance equation, We've also got a bonus nutrition guide in there and also a mobility guide to work on your mobility to keep your body in one piece. So this is looking at foam rolling and for stretching. And again, it's an area that there's so much information out there. We want to cut through some of this confusing information and just give you the key things that are going to work that gives you the biggest bang for your buck. When it comes to the nutrition guide, Nick designed this nutrition guide based around the carbohydrate appropriate way of eating. And it's it's interesting that, you know, we already mentioned Cliff Harvey and his carbohydrate appropriate way um, of eating in the podcast already. But this this guide that Nick put together is about eating a way that gives you the health and performance benefit of a of a low carbohydrate approach while still providing the adequate fuel to meet the demands of marathon training. So that is a bonus that goes along with this training plan. This training plan is available both in PDF downloads, but also over on Training Peaks as well, if you would prefer a Training Peaks form of this. 
you can check out all of this plus a free inside look into this training plan over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash marathon and we'll also put uh, a link to it in the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 68 for episode 68. So that there is a training plan sneak peek for this episode. Uh, If you go over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com, have a look around the training plans and you cannot find one that suits your needs or your goals, let us know and we will see what we can do. If there's a big enough demand, uh, we will put together a training plan for that specific event or specific distance, whatever it might be that you're after. So if you do have ideas about training plans that you'd like to see, let us know and we will do our best for you. We're going to jump into our final segment for this episode and it is the quick in this episode's quick tip we are going to just talk about quickly because it's a quick tip after all uh is a rule that i heard from a a physio ages ago like years like i'm going to say i'm going to go out on a limb and say 10 years ago uh very well respected physio and it was around temperature and wearing tights when running, cycling, that sort of thing, protecting your knees. And what this physio said is that if it is 10 degrees Celsius or less, your knees should be covered up with some sort of tights or knee warmers. And I've always found that really interesting, and I've always sort of abide by it because I respected this person so much. And I tried to look around for some research around this, like where is this number coming from? But I couldn't really find anything. But I thought I'd sort of talk around it since it is winter here in uh, the Southern Hemisphere uh, and it soon will be winter in the Northern Hemisphere as the year progresses. But I think it's kind of a nice uh, rule to follow. And it's something that I've come back to because I have been working really hard on this, like, really stubborn quadricep tendinosis I've been having, or this tendinopathy in my quad tendon. So the, the quads that come down, there's a tendon that joins them onto the top of the kneecap. I've been getting some uh, some issues with that. I've been working through them, um, but one thing I came back to was keeping my knees warm with the idea that when you keep your knees warm, especially in, in the cooler temperatures, let's rephrase that, If you go out running or riding or you've just got shorts on in winter, the blood flow to your knees decreases. So there's a vasoconstriction. The blood vessels get smaller to limit the amount of blood going to your lower limb because it's cold down there. The body wants to protect its core body temperature. So there's less blood flow going to those knees. With the idea that with that decreased circulation, then just the tissue health and integrity in that area is compromised, especially if you've got a tendinopathy in that area or you've got sort of sore, old, tired, creaky knees, um, then reducing the blood flow even further is kind of like decreasing the amount of lube that you're putting on a you know old, dry, creaky chain. It just makes it worse. So the idea is is that by keeping your knees warm when the temperature starts to drop, we maintain blood flow, we hopefully maintain that tissue health, tissue integrity, and, and hopefully 
uh, help with any you know adverse side effects. So I, this is something I have personally been doing quite a lot of lately. Is I usually always wear shorts to to work where I work um, in in a, in in a gym that I work here. But what I do, what I've been doing all winter is wearing some pants to just keep my knees warmer, hopefully maintain the blood flow, hopefully help with this uh, repair and recovery of this issue I've been having in my knee. Also, when I'm running, when I've been running, I've been having tights on, and it, it seems to have helped a lot. And even though the research is not there to back it up, it makes sense, yeah? If you've got, especially if you've got a niggly knee, wrap them up, keep them warm when the temperature drops below 10 degrees. And no doubt there's some people that live in super hot places that once you get to 15 degrees, they're probably putting on tights because they're feeling cold anyway. But I think 10 degrees down this end of the island is probably a good rule, uh, which essentially means that all, all winter, all winter, you're wearing tights. Thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting you mentioned that because a few years back I had a similar kind of issue with the, the insertion of the ITB into the side of the knee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was working with a, a therapist and we were using like a hot rub. Um, mm-hmm. It was actually the, uh, the Sweet Cheeks one, which I know you've, you've used mm-hmm. on the podcast before, um, and applying that before going out for a, a run. Yep. And that just to keep, keep the area a bit warmer, um, keep that sort of stimulus there, uh, and it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, so I can imagine coupling coupling that with like a, a compression tights or or something mm. to run in, uh, especially just to keep a bit of compression there, keep the warmth in. Um, I can certainly see the benefit. Yeah, perfect. So, quick tip is if it's below ten degrees, keep your knees warm. If you're running, if you're riding. And, and also in general, like if you're if you're kayaking as well and you're kayaking in the winter, especially if you've got an open cockpit, you know, get those knees nice and warm. That's the quick tip for this week. Let us know uh, if you have had problems with your knees, if you're a tight wearer or not. Be interesting to know. Alrighty, team, that is all we've got for you for this episode. Remember, if you've got any questions about this episode, or things you'd like to see more of or differently into the future, feel free to send through your questions. Best way to do that is send a voice question in over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask, and there's a way over there that you can send in a voice question. If you do not want to have your voice live over the airways of the internet, feel free to send us in a written question via email or over on Facebook or uh, Instagram if you want to find us over there. On Instagram, I am at Matty EPC. And someone asked me the other day, what does the EPC stand for? Well, it's for Exponential Performance Coaching. So Matty EPC. And Nick is at its underscore a underscore Nick's underscore life. And also we are over on Instagram at Harden Up Inc., and also the Harden Up Facebook page, which is Harden Up Project. Until next time, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, remember to train smart. We'll talk to you next time. Mate, thanks for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, 
and see it continue into the future, you can do so in a number of ways. Firstly, make sure you subscribe to this channel on whatever platform you are listening. Like and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word. If you're feeling really generous, head over and leave a review and a rating over on iTunes. This helps spread the word and develop the podcast. All of this will help the podcast continue long into the future so we can keep bringing you the information you need to train hard, but most importantly, train smart.